The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Myra Goodman, wrote an essay in the January-February issue of Spirituality Health magazine along with her cousin Trudy Goodman entitled Awaken to Spiritual Bravery. And that's going to be our topic for today, this whole notion of spiritual bravery. Myra is also the author of an amazing book called Quest for Eternal Sunshine, a Holocaust survivor's journey from darkness to light, in which she tells the story of her father, Mendic Rubin, who survived the Holocaust to become an inventor and sage. And, and I think, Myra, we're going to start with you telling us a little bit about your dad and about that book before we jump into the essay, because I got the sense that your dad, in a sense, embodied spiritual bravery and his quest for eternal sunshine, or you know, the title of the book, fits neatly into what you're talking about when you and your cousin talk about spiritual bravery. So tell us a little bit about Quest for Eternal Sunshine, your dad, and then how that maybe leads us into spiritual bravery. Oh, Rami, thank you for asking me that question. Wow. My father was, he was raised actually Hasidic, a Hasidic Jew in Poland. He was born in 1924. And he had a hard life even before the Holocaust. You know, back back then in Poland, the, the Christian kids would throw stones at the Jews on their way to school. And my father's first language was Yiddish, and everything was taught in Polish. And he had undiagnosed dyslexia. So everyone, you know, he, would, he was failing out of school, out of Hebrew school, out of the school in Poland. And everyone thought he was really dumb and he was you know his father would beat him for his inadequacy so he had a hard life even before the holocaust and then in 1942 after all those years where jews suffered so much were completely disenfranchised he was taken away at 17 by gunpoint and he was taken to the Nazi slave labor camps where he managed to survive for three years. And my father was an incredible inventor. And a lot of the reasons why he was able to survive are the things he invented. 
And so after the war, he became a very successful inventor in the jewelry business, but he was really depressed and he was really suffocated by fear. And he says that when he turned 40, it was as if an alarm clock went off in his brain and he realized that he did not want to live that way and he made it his project to figure out how to break out of his suffering and live a joyful life. And so he basically applied his inventor's mind and it was New York in the 70s and he tried all sorts of different therapies that were out there and joined all these spiritual groups. But you know, he basically figured out through self-observation how his mind was kind of trapped by his conditioning and the past and he was living in this, he realized that the world he was living in was his projection and that he could change it and write a new script. And so he he really figured out how to heal himself and he wrote about it in, he, he, he was writing and he wrote about his spiritual awakening journey and his connection to the divine. And my father died in 2012 after having Alzheimer's for 10 years. And after he died, I found this unfinished manuscript of his life and his and his healing journey and his spiritual awakening discoveries. And so I had just sold my business, you know, and I had a big business for 30 years. And I suddenly it was like the universe conspired for me to kind of pivot to this new project. And I spent four years researching his life, writing the book. And actually part of the book launch was I wrote a piece for spirituality and health. And I love your publication so much that I have, I've kept writing for you. And, and I created a platform called Quest for Eternal Sunshine where everything I offer is free and we have free resources for wisdom, healing, self discovery in honor of my father who wanted to help everybody free themselves from suffering and reconnect with love and joy. Wow. <laughs> That's a powerful snippet of his story. Uh, let, let me ask you something about his Alzheimer's. And I realize this is not the topic you prepared for, but let me ask you a question and let me tell you where I'm coming from with this. Uh, one of my teachers since high school, and he was my teacher first through his books and then later through personal contact, was Houston Smith, one of the great professors of world religion. I traveled with, with Houston to India a couple of times. I didn't know him well personally, and I'm sure if you said my name to him, he wouldn't know who I was. But I did win the Houston Smith Award for Inter-Spiritual Education, and I gave a, a Houston Smith lecture uh, one time in, in, in San Francisco. But anyway, so, I, so I've, I'm very attached to Houston Smith as I understand him. And he also had Alzheimer's. And I met with his nurse once, and I said something very stupid to her. And I said, what a shame that Houston no longer knows who he is. You know, he had no sense that he was Houston Smith, which to me is this huge, you know, I, I, idol of mine. And she said, not condescendingly, but scoldingly in a sense. Now she said that my question was totally inappropriate, 
that he knew exactly who he was. He just wasn't who I thought he was. You know, he was still, he couldn't name himself Houston Smith. That didn't mean anything. His history didn't mean anything to him anymore. But he was very happy being who he was as he understood himself in the process of, of having Alzheimer's. How was your dad uh, as he was, I don't know what the word is because I don't, I don't want to overstate this or, or misstate this, but as he went through the Alzheimer's part of his life journey and, and the title of the book being Quest for Eternal Sunshine, did he seem, and I'm going to use the word lighter metaphorically, did he seem lighter? as he sort of was freed from the memory of the Holocaust? Oh, you know, it's interesting because one of the things with Alzheimer's is it's the short-term memory that goes first. So there were there was definitely a, a long period where he actually talked about the Holocaust. He would say over and over of the, you know, there were, there were different times when the Nazis would demand a certain amount of, of young people be delivered to go to the concentration camps. He went with a group of 40 people. And of that, those 40 people, he was the only one to survive. So he would, he, there was about two years where he said, you know, out of 40 of us, I was the only one. And he would, that would, that would be something that he would repeat over and over. And he would, what was interesting is I, I look like him. My sister looks more like my mother. And there was, there was a period where he would look at me and he would shake his head and he'd say, I love you so much and I don't know why. And I felt like, you know, he didn't remember that I was his daughter. And I think part of it was that I would, because he would say to me, I remember you from my kitchen table in Yavozno, which was his hometown. Sometimes he would say that. And then he would say, I love you so much, but I don't know why. So it was like he remembered the love. And the caretakers that we had said that most of their patients with Alzheimer's you know, are kind of difficult and angry and frustrated. The only time they had a problem with my dad was he really didn't like being bathed, but he was happier. And a lot of them would bring their children to play with him. And so, so I, I always did feel, Rami, that his Alzheimer's kind of proved that his neuro reprogramming that he invented his methods that he did on himself were effective because he was he was more positive and he was more cheerful he didn't go back to being depressed but he didn't forget the holocaust he forgot the current his current life he forgot california he forgot new york he forgot the more contemporary things until the it's end, just, then he didn't, you know, he didn't have any words anymore. So you can see how little I understand Alzheimer's, but you, you saved my question and, and gave a very powerful answer. So I thank you for that, Myra. So let, let's, let's switch over to uh, your essay, Awaken to Spiritual Bravery. Define that for us. Let's, let's just go to the basics. Well, you know, do you mind if I start telling this by telling the story that I actually opened the essay with? No, go ahead. Okay, so I opened the the story, the, the the article, "Awakening to Spiritual Bravery," with actually what happened in my life that inspired the essay. 
And and I'm going to tell a little bit more of the story than is in the article because ba- basically I have always believed that I had literally the ver- the worst voice in the world. Like I wouldn't even want to start singing Happy Birthday if I brought out it a, a cake. It was I was I muffled myself because I thought I had the worst voice in the world, and I never had any musical ability per se. But I a few years ago started learning how to play the guitar. And I would just belt out songs, right? And to me, that was an act of, of of real spiritual bravery to do something that I wasn't good at, that other people might judge, and to do it just because I enjoyed it. And as I played guitar and made a lot of mistakes, to not be kind of angry at myself or censor myself or give up, right? So, so part of part of spiritual bravery is is really kind of freeing ourselves from the little boxes that we put ourselves in to be acceptable to the world, to do things, you know, just that we're good at. So so that's a little background. So my husband and I were playing guitar. He doesn't have a great voice either. So that was even a level of intimacy after being together for over 40 years, just singing poorly together, but having fun. And so there was this evening where we were playing guitar and I have my dog who is like my soulmate dog who just turned nine, whose face is all gray now. He's a big lab, so he's not one of the smaller dogs that live really long. And then our other dog, Leo, that we love, Henry and Leo. And we were playing the guitar, and I was like, there's no place I'd rather be. I am so happy now. And then I looked, and I turned 60 this last December. I looked at my husband, who's all gray. I've been with him since he was 23, and my dog's getting gray, and I'm tur- I just was about to turn 60, and this fear came up in me, like this, this can't last forever. This, this configuration, something's going to happen. I mean, best case scenario, one dog will die, the other dog will die. You know, me and my husband will, will not likely die at the same moment in our 90s without pain, right? And and at that moment. I said, I am not going to ruin this moment by taking the road of fear and anxiety and thinking about the future. I am going to be here right now and let the reality of impermanence help me enjoy the moment fully, not scare me away. And then I kind of, it was just the most beautiful evening. And I was thinking about this. I was like, I was being spiritually brave. I was belonging to love and the moment instead of fear. And I was being brave to sing and to do something that I'm not good at, that that if someone walked in, they'd go, I can't believe this woman is singing at the top of her lungs. Are you suggesting that spiritual bravery is is essentially being in the moment? You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like spiritual bravery... It's kind of an attitude towards, it's an orientation towards life where we are aiming to learn and grow and do things that can feel a little challenging, a little scary because we are reaching for, for something, for something higher. And we're looking at all of what life brings as an opportunity to grow. And and what was interesting, I think for me, a lot of spiritual bravery is kind of getting getting out of my box and going back to my father, which you know, you brought that up in the beginning, is one of the things my father said is 
I, I've been conditioned by my society, by my family, that I'm supposed to be a certain way. And that way is not my true nature. That way is causing suffering. That's It's shutting me down. And I am free to write a new script. And so he was being brave to say, I do not have to accept what society says is how is how I is how I need to be and how I need to limit myself to to be accepted, right? And he he really my my dad you know, went from being so depressed to being so happy and he connected with his childhood innocent. Like I have I have a three year old grandson. He doesn't worry what people think about him when he's running. How do I look? Does my butt look fat? You know, he's in the moment. And my dad did that. My dad learned to just enjoy the moment and not care what people thought about him, liberate himself for that. So I feel like spiritual bravery is, is a lot of things. In the article, what was interesting was Trudy really focused on mindfulness. And she said mindfulness is is a part of it all. But what we were trying to get across in the in the article is how what what are the ingredients in ourselves that we need to cultivate to be spiritually brave? And we talked about five steps. Do you want to go into those five steps? Sure. Okay. So 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 the first step is mindfulness. And I think that has to do with my initial story about l- training ourselves to be in the present moment. And Trudy and I both feel that, you know, nowadays with technology, with everybody having almost their primary relationship with their phone, where all of the, there's constant overstimulation. And, and we're, our, our system is so used to distracting, being distracted that we have to consciously train ourselves to, to really be in the moment and feel our bodies and, and not be stuck in our minds. It's our minds that go to the future and, our, and go to the past. So part of being spiritually brave is cultivating that ability to really be in the moment. And that's when you are the clearest and the wisest, right? Another step, and I'm not going sequentially with the article, is cultivating self-trust, cultivating your inner intuition. And so so that that is about kind of going away always from your mind and trying to figure things out with, with, with your mind. Well, what is the best thing to do? And really connecting with that internal GPS that we all have about what what is right in this moment, what it what feels right. Trudy says since Trudy shared something that's in the article that's that I think is really true and I've I've shared it with people and they like it, is that you just if you're if you're making a decision, you just say out loud one of the options and you just feel is your body saying yes or is your body saying no? Like mindfulness of your of your gut reaction, right? Your inner wisdom, and the more we honor it, the more clearly we'll hear it, and the less we'll be led around by our kind of neurotic minds, right? And then another step is finding safety in the body. Is just knowing, like feeling safe. This is this is a scary world. And especially when you think about all the news and all the information that is bombarding all of us, you know, going back to my dad again, he talked about when he grew up, 
there was a few newspapers that were published not daily that got to his town. You know, they came they came to his town when they were old. And there was literally a town crier that would go to the middle of the market square, hear ye, hear ye, and announce the news, right? And you think about what we're bombarded with every day through our phones that we take around with us, right? So so it's like I think that it's so easy for our nervous system to be on high alert. And, and I think for us to be able to feel safe in this world and, and feel brave in this world, we have to learn to feel safe in our body. And Trudy talks about how for her, it's the breath. The breath is always there to calm us down, to connect, to connect with. And, and she taught, and, and, and actually the article has different exercises. So she has one connecting with the breath. And that's also, she has a beautiful exercise in, in the step that's self-trust that includes intuition. It's also being very kind to ourself. She offers a beautiful exercise where as we're breathing and we're tuning into our breath, we feel that our breath is loving us. With every breath, we're being loved, which is great. And then two, two other things with spiritual bravery is knowing you can handle your emotions. Sometimes we're so afraid of the future because we know we know that grief and sadness is inevitable and and that scares us. And and we when we run from our emotions, we even we get we get more scared. That's another thing is is using mindfulness practices and other practices, re- releasing your fear. You can, you know, shake your body and you can growl and you can sigh, but learning how to feel your emotions so that you know that you can handle whatever emotions come your way and you're not as afraid of that. And, and then the final step that Trudy offered so beautifully was really connecting with something greater than ourselves because it's so it's harder to be brave when you are kind of stuck in your small world and you feel reliant on all the things that give you security day to day. And so Trudy really talks about feeling connected with the cycles of life and and understanding what it, what for what, that we're on this earth for such a short time and thinking about whatever it is that gives you a sense of connection whether it's your version of god or or nature or you tune into love for your children or your pets something greater than yourself so those are the five steps that come with exercises that we offer in the article discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between join spiritual teacher Brittany mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market so that really <laughs> i mean there's a lot to unpack there and and I won't go into all of it, but a couple of things you said are really intriguing that I'd like to explore with you. So, you know, you talked about self-trust and you brought in intuition into that and you used the phrase, you know, our internal GPS so that, you know, we, you can put an option, you're making a decision, you can throw an option out there and you sort of instantaneously know, though, that's not what I want to do, or yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And, and I'm wondering when you say something like that, who knows? I don't mean like, well, who knows? I mean, what part of the psyche knows? Because if I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, well, like, like your dad said, that we're so conditioned by society, by our teachers, by our experience, by our religion, we're so conditioned that often the choices we make are not from our internal GPS or our in, or some kind of free-floating intuition, but rather from a totally conditioned egoic state where we're trying to please, then you fill in the blank, our parents, our pastors, our rabbis, our imams, our gurus, whatever it is, and, and we're not being true to ourselves or being true to what you call in the article, our authentic self. So do you think somewhere inside of us, and I don't mean you're gonna pluck it out of a, our physical bodies, but do you think there's somewhere in our psyche that is a literal authentic self, a self free from conditioning? And that's where intuition comes from. That's what we're trying to cultivate is this authentic self. Yeah, it's a great question, and I and I am sure you are probably you know e you know even more equipped to answer it than me. But I think you know with internal family systems how they have the self with the big S that right. you know that there's all these parts to us, right? And there's all these parts, you know, that, like you were talking about the conditioning. There's the good girl part. There are the parts that want approval. There's you know all of us that have been conditioned by society, domesticated, right? As, as they would say in the Four Agreements. I, I think that it's what it is, is I think that's one of the things, Rami, that we can experience within ourselves. Like I think when when we are calm and we can witness our thought patterns, we can witness our emotions, there's something still in us. There is something still that that has an equanimity 
And and I think that it's it's a place that I believe we can all discover in ourselves. And the more time we spend kind of paying attention, I feel like, to that part of us and letting that voice be our leader, the, the stronger that voice and that relationship becomes. I agree that that we ha- that everyone has this capacity to be- become the witness or and I don't know if the word be- the verb become is the right one but we we can experience this witness consciousness the question I have and, and this may not be one that you know you feel comfortable answering and if you know <laughs> cousin Trudy were here <laughs> you know she might be able to give us her you know, her take on this but the, the question I always have about the witness is, is the witness me? My, so, so let me not leave, you know, leave it hanging here. My experience, and, and I use the word experience with air quotes so no one can see us, uh, because when I use the word experience, it, it implies that Rami is having an experience, and that's really not what I'm talking about. When when the witness is happening, the witness is never Rami. It's never me. It, it's it's something else. And and when I reconstruct the experience after it's passed, my sense is is that this authentic self it, uh, uh, slash witness is is nobody in particular. That 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 everyone who experiences the authentic self is experiencing the same self because there's only one self one right right you know, using right. hindu terminology one atman you know who who is or that is the the one brahmin is that your sense of it or do you have a different take no i i i i i think it's an underwhelming word to say neutral and i don't think my father would say neutral because i think my father would say that that is love that that is that that is connection that all of us are connected and that 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 has an energy and that energy is love but it, it is it is indiscriminate love right so it's it's not it's not conditioned love oh blonde hair is beautiful so i love blonde hair right it's more more of a pure love and i i i, I totally agree with you you know i think it's it's very complex being human. In my own healing journey, I've realized how impactful the nervous system is. You know, I grew up the daughter of two Holocaust survivors. You know, I I I, I literally didn't realize that I lived in a state of terror until I was forty five and had a session where I felt a moment of no terror, and I went. Oh my God, I've lived in a state of low grade or high grade terror my whole life, right? And and as I started doing somatic work and healing work and learning how to settle my nervous system, because I could never heal through my mind, the world looked different, right? So so we're we're these human creatures. The world looks different when when we're hungry, when we're tired, you know, so we're in these bodies. And and one of the things that we actually talk about in in the in the article with the develop self-trust, part of developing self-trust is taking good care of this body. 
knowing that you are you're feeling it, you're mindful of it, you're aware of your limits, you're nurturing it, you're aware of the feelings that are coming up and need to be processed, right? So that you are you're, you're kind of a vehicle that that is able to experience life from a place that isn't so colored by stress and trauma. So I think it's I think it's complex, you know. I think what you're describing, you know, is a soul and is this energy. I do qigong, and and one thing I love about qigong is that you become so aware. You know, you're sort of like the fish that was in water. They didn't know they were in water. You become aware of the energy. You can feel it in your hands. You can move your hands back and forth and feel this ball of energy. You feel your inner energy and your outer energy, that there's some chi that is everywhere, that is a life force that connects us. So, you know, that can be part of that soul that we all share. You know, I I, I don't attempt to, to give a good answer. I think it's I think the humility about the human brain and how we can be conditioned to believe anything is also a really important ingredient is is to realize we we really don't know so us extrapolating certain things or you know or when we believe our thoughts about the future believe our worries we react very strongly so I think I think part of it is 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 humility and realizing the complexity is 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 beyond our possible you know our capacity to fully understand but I think I think you and I are talking about about a similar thing and a similar question and you know I think I think taking that question internally also that's that's the journey and and the and the and the destination right is like what what is this what what is this and there's that beautiful quote i don't know i don't know who who it's by is it buddha or someone but you know what you're searching is searching for you you know and and that that that, that we're waiting to be a part of that atman brahman like to, we're waiting to 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 re- remember our oneness and it's and we're always it's always there, right? It's always just about reconnecting with what's already there. Yeah, I think when you talk, when you read, study, practice with the great mystics of any religious tradition, you always get back to this uh, challenge of awakening to the fact that you know, in in Jesus's words, "I and the Father." Are one, so take out the the sexist language. You know, I and the divine are one, and I think you find that in Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism. You know, every religion has it because I think it is the foundational truth that the ego denies necessarily, but unfortunately, it denies it absolutely and not simply. You know, it's it's a necessary denial so that the ego can function, but it makes it absolute, and that's when all the problems come in. I think because it, it we just lock ourselves away from our our true self, our authentic self, and therefore from our connection with everything. So that the ultimate in spiritual bravery is to really free yourself from that limiting notion of yourself to find that the the transcendent non-dual self that manifests as all of us. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that's I think that's really really true. And also learn, you know, practically learning how to navigate life in a human body where, you know, we we we're we're 
evolutionarily programmed to have fear, right? That's how we that's how we survived is we hear a noise, we're afraid we turn what's coming at us in, in the woods or whatever it is, right? So it, there's also, I think, skills that we can develop to manage our emotions, to manage our minds. And, you know, and there's so many teachers out there that, and I think you have to figure out what what works for you. And that that's also about tuning into yourself. So, so if I'm hearing you right, you know, one of the challenges is to navigate this deep truth through the limitations of a human body. And and I would say, yeah, that's true. And the tools we need for doing that, some of them are are very beautifully laid out in your essay, Awaken to Spiritual Bravery. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I and I think I, I love I love I love the way you worded it. And you know, we ended the article with, I think I said it when we started the interview, that spiritual bravery is about belonging to love instead of fear. And that was the choice that I made playing the guitar with my husband when when the fear of of you know of future loss came up. And I think that there's something about that energy of love that is open-hearted, that is connection versus that energy of fear that's very isolating, that that allows us to continue to, to flourish as, as, as human beings and live life more bravely. Can't say it better than that. Our guest today, Myra Goodman, along with her cousin Trudy Goodman, wrote the essay Awaken to Spiritual Bravery in the January-February issue of Spirituality Health magazine. Trudy is sick, and that's why she didn't join us for this podcast. But Myra, you are here. I appreciate it. The conversation was wonderful, and thank you for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Brenna Lilly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.